the Westlot Pirates and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric Skuskaspo, oh, and I'm boy. so excited to be coaching in the state of Louisiana. Oh, wow. Boy. Okay. Thanks, Brian <laughs> Kelly. Um, we'll, we'll, get to the, we'll get to that and uh, the rest of the insane coaching carousel that's been going on since uh, the end of regular season in a little bit. But you know, speaking of end of regular season, uh, Northwestern played Illinois and lost badly. I don't even know what the score is off the top of my head, nor do I really care to, to check. Um, it, it, the game was terrible. We looked awful. We saw nothing of any any possible future. We didn't take a look at any of the young kids. It was exactly the same thing as we've been seeing all season long. And, you know, if, if they're not willing to do something different, I'm not willing to do something different. So I, I don't want to I don't want to talk about the game. Yeah. I, first of all, before we even get to the discussion of the game or relative lack thereof, I just want to, you know, to all of our listeners out there, you made it. We all made it to the end of this brutal season, okay? Like, I mean, pat yourselves on the back. You you suffered and soldiered through and made it. Um, and it it's it was as, as bad as we thought 2019 was. This was right there. So, you know, we're, th- we're through in any case, right? But it's funny, you know, talking about the, the game itself. Between the, the three of us, I'm trying to figure out exactly how – how many equivalents of like a full game watch we cover between the three of us. Cause I didn't watch any of it. Uh, Scuzz, I know you checked out <laughs> at some point. Um, yeah. I turned it off. I, I turned it off at half. I went back for a little bit, but um, I just, I just started watching other stuff cause it was just so horrible. And like, it became very clear we weren't going to learn anything. And that's, you know, I think um, obviously the, you know, I, I, I feel for the players. I, I certainly, um, support all the guys on the team and and in 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 no way was this like a dismissal of you know their uh their effort or 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 anything but it like it was very clear that that the um the team had just kind of kind of lost the the will to to carry on and i don't i don't particularly blame them um i mean you're not saying like they didn't quit no, it's it's what well, so I was thinking about this too. Like it's it's two things, right? Um it's one to your point, right? The guys are not quitting out there, but there is a psychological toll to all this. Yeah, and it yeah. is and, yeah, and it sure. is going to add up. Football's hard people and when you're and when you're like when you're in that headspace, you start to make mental mistakes and you make them at a greater pace and a greater velocity. And well, and the second part of it too. And this was of course something that just like just the drumbeat was beaten into our skulls in 2019 is like, give the other teams on our schedule some credit. If they see things aren't being changed, they're just, it just makes it easier for them to just dial in. Right. And by this point in the season, like Illinois knew exactly what, you know, the gaping flaws, the things that, you know, the massive problems that were existing, right. Et cetera. And, knowing how to just exploit those things and take advantage of those things. And you have, you know, these things where you have these cascading problems, right? I mean, like the, if you, if you go by the numbers and you look at the last two games, I mean, an offensive line that, you know, pretty, you know, the sack numbers given up by this offensive line were pretty good. They were just ripped wide open the past two games. I mean, it was just devastating. And it's just one of those things where it's like things cascade. And when you factor in injuries and then like other teams being like, look, we can see these quarterbacks are going to need all day to sit back there to find something. And this team doesn't have it. And these guys are not going to locate. And they start pinning their ears back and just Illinois knew what they were getting. Um, and and that's the thing. I mean, it's funny. Like I, I haven't watched any of this game. Full disclosure, right? I mean, this goes and we, you know, we tend to be types that we watch our games and then we sit and rewatch them multiple times and watch the tape. I haven't watched a second of this game. So if you were following on Twitter, <clears throat> I was down in in Disney or specifically that day, Universal Studios. So I'm in Universal Studios with my family. 
we're taking my daughter to the Wizarding World for the first time, right? She's dressed up like Harry Potter. We're walking around and I'm going, you know, and, you know, even my mother's there with me. And she's even like, so you're going to try to step aside, find like a bar to watch the game. And I'm like, no, no, no. Like this <laughs> nope. is about this is about my daughter. I'm not going to focus on the game at all. And of course, like flipping degenerate that I am, I totally have my phone out watching the game cast, right? So I'm walking around Diagon Alley while my daughter's like jumping from place to place, getting a wand, whatever and just watching it unfold you know and it's happening it happens so quickly right um in in fashion that we've become very accustomed to at various points of this season but it just was put to bed so fast right that um quickly it 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 turns to the discussion and the discussions coming out of this game the discussions that have continued to simmer over the four or five days since the game um Mm -hmm. And, the, you know, the echoes of everything that, that's come this entire season. And I think, if anything, that's where we want to focus more, right? Yeah. Well, I think I think something that can pre-effectively summarize what we've been talking about for weeks with regard to the depth chart and playing young players and just, like, the uncertainty and some of the weird choices of quarterback and everything. Like, the the comment I saw that, that just perfectly encapsulated it for me described this coaching staff as a staff that is at this stage bereft of ideas. And it, it just feels like the well went totally dry this year. And I don't know if, you know, they hit the point where they just like, I, I categorically feel like they didn't try anything or everything because like, go read, go read the, the positional review on the linebackers on inside and you, and you'll see what we mean. But um, I like, they just seem to be totally out of ideas and trotting out the exact same thing week week after week. And I don't know if it's because they were dealing with something bigger behind the scenes that none of us were aware of. I don't know if like, I I can't even, I can't even fathom what we've seen this season from Northwestern. It's so out of, out of the spectrum of what we were hoping for or expecting. Even, even our most pessimistic selves wouldn't have, wouldn't have thought this year would come to fruition this way. And like, yeah, maybe it's because we're homers, but like this was, this was stunning. And then what was more stunning was that it like never, they never seemed to do anything about it. And that kind of leaves us at, well, what happens going forward with the staff? And, you know, that, that was, you know, we've been talking, you know, leading up that we don't think, they're going to make any changes at coordinator. Pajakian's going to be back next year. O'Neill's going to be back next year. And we've been saying that. So yeah, I, I don't think Fitz is going to make any changes unless he absolutely has to. And I, I don't think uh, Derek Gregg is going to force him to make any changes this early in his tenure. So, you know, it, what we've gotten since the end of the season is uh, Bob Hefner, uh, longtime tight ends coach, is retiring and they're making a, a few shifts around. Um, Jeff Jenick is going to be picking up uh, coaching the tight ends in addition to his special teams duties. And um, it sounds like they're going to be going out to hire a cornerbacks coach. Um, and, you know, that not quite sure the rationale behind a cornerbacks coach, but so before we get into this, yeah. right, I want to, I want to tackle something, something larger, which is that, because of the lay of the land and because and you know we've known this and we've been saying it on the pod for weeks there ain't going to be no changes there aren't going to be any major coordinator you know no one's getting fired etc etc right and that you have this the fan base simmering waiting for this non-action and then they see it happened and then the very curious thing that you're alluding to with the cornerbacks the, you know, just as curious thing where you've got Jeff Jenick coming off what, you know, his unit had, frankly, a rough year, the special teams unit, right? And now he's looking at an expanded role and all these things gathering up. And it it had the effect of obscuring a really significant moment, which was the retirement of Bob Hefner. And in a way, it, it's almost not similar like not a symbol or anything but bob hefner was a guy who really operated in the shadows throughout his entire 13 year career at northwestern and like we can't stress enough this was a phenomenal position coach um 
when we did our recruiting deep dive a couple of years ago and kind of put our whole system together to evaluate recruiting and the development of talent across the different positions and everything, one of the things that kind of was shocking was just how good the tight end slash superback position had been under Bob Hefner. And I think the, the, the short of it is Northwestern and really any school just doesn't give out a lot of scholarships at these positions. And it's not hard to look over the 13 years and gather up in your arms all the scholarships that have gone to all of the players across those positions the entire time he was there. It's not a huge amount. And all you have to do is go Drake Dunsmore, Dan Vitale, Garrett Dickerson, Cam Green. That is all on Bob Hefner's watch. That is two two-star recruits in Dunsmore and Danny Vitale. And Danny Vitale, of course, it's almost like mythic, right? His only other offer was Central Michigan, right? Those are two guys who are both developed to NFL talents, okay? Dunsmore was drafted and signed a contract with the Buccaneers. He ultimately didn't stick on in the NFL. But that's a player who was who goes to the point where he's one of the greatest tight ends ever at Northwestern from a production standpoint. And then Vitale, who goes from being an unknown to like having a five-year NFL career, right? So you'd want, you want development of like minor recruiting star talent into NFL level talent. Hefner did that. Then you have Garrett Dickerson. He comes in as a defensive lineman, right? A major recruit, but not a major recruit who was, you know, who was being recruited by most of the nation as a super back. He comes to Northwestern. Hefner develops him into an NFL tight end, right? And then Cam Green, same kind of thing. Won a state championship in Illinois as a wide receiver. And then he comes in and Hefner shifts him to a super back and develops him to a position where he probably goes to the NFL if he doesn't have to medically retire. It is a phenomenal career that happened largely in the shadows um, that is just at a position group that's not sexy, that's not turning out a lot of big names, right? That is just lost in the shuffle behind all of the other positions on the offensive side of the ball. So it, it, it in a way, it was sadly fitting, but, you know, we wanted to stop and pay respects to, you know, one of the greater coaches Northwestern's had. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's that's very well put. Um, you know, a, a, as I was mentioning, you know, the the press release announcing uh, Hefner's retirement indicated that uh, we're going to be going out and making a national search for a cornerbacks coach. Um, puzzling. And, and I, I don't really know... I mean, I, I, I literally joked that it might be a typo. Yeah. And like, this was I only, think, I was half joking. I thought it might be a typo and they meant quarterbacks coach. Um, I think that's what's not what, what they meant. Right. Well, what's so weird about it too is, is that we have Matt McPherson coaching the secondary, but then Jim O'Neill, think what you will of him as a defensive coordinator. And many have, including us, is generally regarded as a phenomenal secondary coach like at the at the pro level right and not if not phenomenal very capable and well regarded like as a position coach so I think yeah we're all kind of scratching our heads on this I guess I would say one of the big things is um, I think when this hire is made it's going to help illuminate what Northwestern's looking for and why Northwestern feels the need to be doing this yeah and I think we've you know some of the so we have we have we've gotten a little insider information here. I, like what what we've heard thus far is that this is this is not about a coach to come in and coach the secondary because the secondary is not performing. Um, I mean, I think it's pretty clear in the last couple of games our secondary had some major problems and was super susceptible to double moves and got torched by Purdue and Illinois. Um, but this is this is not about that. This is about uh, chemistry within the program. This is about an opportunity to hire like a young coach from a more like, like maybe a non-Northwestern background um, to bring in some different perspectives and, and, and uh, thinking to the coaching staff. Here's something interesting. I was just, just looking at this. Do you guys know who the youngest coach on Northwestern is right now? Is it McGarrigal? It is McGarrigal at 38 years old. Wow. Uh, the, the next closest is Ianni? Kurt Anderson. Oh, Anderson. Okay. Oh, uh, yeah. Ianni. I'm sorry. Yeah. Cause Ianni is our age. Right. And, uh, and so is Mac McPherson and then, uh, Matt McPherson and then 
Kurt Anderson's like 43, um, Bajakian's 47, Fitz is what, 40. I think Fitz just five, turned 47, 46, right? 47, just cel- I think he, like this week. Yeah. He just celebrated uh, his 47th, yeah. Jeff Jenick, I did not know this, is uh, 61. Um, so on the whole, I would posit that this is a pretty old coaching staff, and I think it makes a lot of sense to go get uh, a, a young coach who you know, can perfectly be close to the players and closer in age and have more relevant experiences, right? Like Fitz's time as a player was a long time ago. Um, and that's not to say that the, the team doesn't respect him, et cetera, that it's not, you know, what he shares with them isn't relevant. But um, I think I think that's the opportunity. That's the opportunity that we've heard that they're after. Um, why on the defensive side versus the offensive side? I don't know. Um, hopefully, John, to your point, will will you know, this will make more sense once it comes through. I mean, it's it's – it's strange. It's certainly not what people wanted. People wanted um, their pound of flesh. They wanted Bajakian out. They wanted O'Neal out. Uh, I think, you know, Sam, to the point you already made, that was never going to happen. I think what's more important, though, from my perspective, like in terms of, of to me, what has gone wrong with this coaching staff over the last three years, I'm going to include 2019, and that is, you know, we, we talked about it with Adam Rittenberg after Mick McCall was, was let go. Because 2019, it was it was just so bloody obvious what the problem was. Um, and it was a problem that we'd all been talking about for six years leading up to that. But this is a different animal now. And, and one of the concerns we had at the time, we said, you know, we said that, it, it, you know, yes, McCall needs to go. But is Fitz really going to philosophically allow a new offensive coordinator to do something dramatically different and open things up and modernize the offense and... The four of us all, we didn't know the answer to that question, and we thought it'd be pretty impactful and important for Northwestern's offense. And when you look at everywhere Pajakian's been and the types of offenses and the S&P Plus numbers that he's put up everywhere he's been, including in the SEC against SEC defenses, including in the ACC against non-ACC defenses, like like this is what the guy does is he, is he hits, you know, mid to high 40s, low 50s in S&P Plus with his offenses. At Northwestern, he's been 94th, and then what? I assume we were like 121st this year. Um, and I'm not saying that he bears no responsibility. Certainly, the quarterback play this year and and in 2019 before his tenure, like those were, you know, huge factors. But Fitz's oversight and philosophy and 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 strategy and approach to the game is like he has his paws on everything the offense is doing schematically, everything the defense is doing schematically. This is not. Fitz is not a CEO coach who just, you know, sits back and let his coordinators do whatever they want. It is just not how it works. And I like for everyone who's who's clamoring for us to fire these coordinators and hire somebody new, I would argue unless Fitz is going to change his philosophy and adapt and grow and think a little bit differently, which I think is just going to take him a couple years to get there if if he can, like you're not going to see different results with a different with a different person in those roles. Now, now, granted, there's some really basic stuff that it seems like John O'Neill like struggles with. Like, um, I think one one of one of our our frequent conversationalists on Twitter was, you know, calling out the fact that he doesn't seem to do basic film review on the opponent. Um, I'm not here to say whether or not that's true, but I, like, I'm sure I'm, I'm sure no it's Im- not. I mean, I- yeah, I, and and I'm not saying no improvement would happen from firing the coordinators and hiring something new, but like. Y'all ain't getting what you really want unless Fitz rethinks his oversight and his philosophy and his strategy. And we all know that's never going to happen. Well, come on now. I mean, it hasn't happened to the... He's been here for 16 years, and how much philosophical change has there been over those 16 years? Well, uh, you know, it, it's funny when we talk about this hire, right? And like this this cornerback hire, and it's like, why are we making this hire? Who is it going to be? You know, what can we read into that, et cetera? And it's like, you know, I mean... In, in addition to, like, I mean, you kind of want to be thinking, all right, so, you know, we were saying Fitz celebrated his birthday this week. Happy birthday to Fitz. And, and when that happened, um, you know, I, I read something that was making note of the fact that he's still, like, you know, on the younger side of coaches in the Big Ten even now. And that I think he's the 30th youngest coach in the FBS. And I think... And Scuzz was sort of alluding to this earlier that lost in that is the feeling that the staff feels older than that. And part of that is because Fitz kind of conducts himself in in a way that's very like set in his ways and doing things 
um, a specific way. And all darn cell phones. Yeah, and I think the so to, to that point, you know, you're looking for for you know whatever the hires, regardless of the position group, in addition to success, in addition to scheme, etc. You know, new ideas to t- discuss his point earlier. Right, you're looking for something new, something whether it's whether it's cultural, whether it's football, etc. Just something new, right? And I think you know this goes against the big things because you alluded to to Bradley Locker's uh, piece for Inside and You on the linebackers, which is just incredible because it's it's a positional review of the linebackers position. And if you go and search it out on Inside and You, I would say. You'll go, and I think why most people are going to click on that is they want to see what the what the grades are that he gave uh, Chris Bergen, Bryce Gallagher, and Pete McIntyre. That's fine. When you click, though, you will see that he's put meticulous effort into making another point <laughs> relative to, to this, which is that there are 13 linebackers and 10 have incomplete grades. And that is accurate. And I think that is one of the things that it's just a reflection of the fact that we have a ton of linebackers and hardly any of them played. And that's one of the big things. It's funny. We were laughing the, for us, it's almost a little bit meta that it was locker writing this piece. Um, And again, I think we're, because we're, you know, always kind of to a small degree or whatever in contact with Inside NU. We read them as you all do, etc. Um, we follow them. We follow the daily. We're just always interested in student journalists. And by highlighting Locker specifically, I don't want it to seem like we're giving short shrift to all the other great journalists and underclassmen journalists at Inside NU, at Daily, etc. Um, it's just Locker's jumped out to us like the, the, the kids throwing heat from the moment he's gotten onto campus as a freshman. I mean, he's as a, as a freshman. And I think what's notable, can he play quarterback? Yeah. (laughs) What's, what's notable about that though, is that, you know, Leah, who's, you know, who I, I don't know if his editor or editor emeritus at this point, but Ben Chasen, Eli Karp, Daniel Olinger, they're letting the kid cook. Um, so it's kind of just a, a meta commentary that, uh, you have this exciting freshman given free free reign to produce tons of content <laughs> and write things like this, uh, doing a position review that highlights just how much Northwestern football did not do that this season is just kind of amusing to us. But um, so, but in any case, right? It's all just like, well, well, we should we should be clear. We believe that this this you know lack of playing time for young players this. Um, kind of stubborn uh sticking to you know the 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 starting core or the the more senior players we, we believe this is a a fitzian philosophy right a, so a and core that, fitzian philosophy right exactly so i mean it's kind of to bring it back around again it's like if we're hiring a, a new coach i mean again it's like we'll spend less time quibbling over the specifics of of the position even if it seems curious, right, and and more time focusing on, you know, who is this hire and what can this, you know, what can this guy bring to the team, right? Because obviously, this is a team that could use a little shot of something new right now, and um, any any voice or any person who can come in and do that is more than welcome. Well, I I do want to kind of get back, Sam. I know I kind of scoffed when you said when you made your comment about fits never changing, because like I in in the. I guess in the guise of talking out of both sides of my mouth, right? Like I've been, we've all been very vocal and frustrated with Fitz and the stubbornness of the, of the team, the, you know, the, the fraudulent depth chart, um, that, uh, that it just hasn't changed in weeks, um, et cetera, throughout the year. But like, if I step back and think about the fact that Fitz in, in replacing McCall with Bajakian and now replacing, uh, Hankowitz with John O'Neill. Fitz has made his second and third, or I'm, yeah, uh, his third and fourth coordinator hires um, in the entirety of his tenure. But the first two hires happened in the first two years of his tenure, and so I could totally understand 
the impetus and the the feeling from Fitz like like that he doesn't have the the rapport or the comfort or the trust or the whatever at this stage to let those guys just do their own thing and 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 hence why there's this tendency for what we see is Fitz kind of micromanaging micromanaging those um whether it's the scheme or the personnel or just like the the overall philosophy and strategy behind um behind the team and, and some of that of course is his job as head coach right but um I can understand the reflex to want to micromanage that in that this is, you know, this is the first time since his third year as a head coach that he has brought in new coordinators um, and, and both guys who came from, you know, outside the immediate organization, unlike, you know, McCall, who was, who was promoted from within. So, um, and, and I think what's key in this, and we've talked about, you know, this theme the last few weeks is like, this is the moment where Fitz needs to grow and adapt as a coach and as a leader and as, and as a, a head coach of a, of a major FBS football team, like, and maybe he can't, and maybe he won't. And that is what it is. But I am, I am, I am hopeful that, that the opportunity to to reflect the opportunity to work with someone like, um, uh, like AD Greg, who, is a football guy played football much like Fitz did. I mean, they have a lot in common, right? And, and Greg has a lot of experience and a lot of different places to draw on. I mean, this, you know, when you talk about a diversity of opinions and thoughts that, you know, this is why it's so hired, so important to bring in people with new viewpoints that can help, you know, diversify the thinking of, of the staff. And I'm, I'm hopeful that Fitz can learn and grow at this phase. And, and maybe he can't, and that this is just what we're going to see from Northwestern over the coming years, that when when the senior talent on the team is really good and strong, the team is good. And when it's not, they're not. And that, that might just be the reality. But um, I don't think that has to be baked in stone yet. No, yeah. And, of course, you know, inevitably we're all still, you know, we're at the end of this horrible season. We're bummed out and everything. Like, we tend to want to shade optimistic, and we tend to want to believe that these things are going to happen over time, right? Um, at this particular moment, we're all pretty beaten down. Yeah. It's it's been a rough ride. Um, we thank you all for listening and, and coming through with us, but um, I guess before we tie a bow on on football for, for the present, though, we should probably at least go through the the trans- yeah, I, I was. The, I was just the Stargate hath opened up. Just about, right? just about to go there. Um, you know, the, the transfer portal is open. Uh, I mean, it has always been open. We we've had uh, five or six guys uh, announced that they're they're transferring. Jason Whitaker, um, former corner, now tight end, is, is grad transferring. F- former quarterback. Yeah, that quarter. Yeah. Yes, quarterback. See, this is the thing when quarterback, when cornerback. Wondering <laughs> about cornerback versus quarterback typos it starts to mess with everyone's brain what what if you say it with a southern accent does it sound the same <laughs> uh you don't want to hear my southern accent it's not good <laughs> kind of like brian kelly um in any case uh so whitaker is is in the portal um who else there's uh wyatt blake uh he's he's entered the the portal tara edwards um Jalen Rivers, the, Payne Bear, that right, Payne Bear, and then Garnet Hollis, Garnet Hollis, and yeah. and so for me the big one. So we texted about this, um, and I think before the season even ended, I was saying to you guys, I I want to see, you know, basically not so much if Rivers enters the portal, but when Rivers enters the portal. This is someone who was on the two deep the entire year and played by my count one play of defensive football um, and was right at the head of the list of the guys we really wanted to see get more reps and just never got them. And, um, you know, I, I mean, again, he's grad transferring out. I'm not trying to say that I know what his thinking is or et cetera, but I've just, from where I was sitting, I was like, I'm just waiting for him to transfer out. Um, and, and that was so, you know, it's it was a big loss in terms of depth, a big, big bummer in terms of he was a really rangy player who I really wish we would have had the chance to see more of and see what he could do in, in terms of ball hawking and, and working from sideline to sideline. And we never got to see it. And that was, you know, very frustrating um, in terms of Hollis. It's it's really rough in terms of 
he's he was basically in stone as our number four cornerback last year. And the top three played a lot. And that's one of the things that we were relatively blessed with was health with the top three guys. Now, obviously, there were some performance issues and there was a juggling of the number two cornerback back and forth. And then all the discussions we're not going to relitigate here about, you know, star package versus 4-3 and all that whole thing. But Hollis was the number four guy and he's gone now. So, I mean, to me, it's like... Well, I, I, let me, let me think, stop you. I mean, Malik or, Washington or entered the portal back last in. year. He's in the portal. He's in the right. portal. That's, you, like, they, make a great point. You, know. you make a great point. You're right. Right. He could come back. Um, you're absolutely right. That's a great point. But, but he he also might be looking at, you know, if, if Mitchell Hampton and, and Hurd are all back, then he's, he's right. number he's four. He's still fourth fiddle, right? Um, right. But uh, Exactly. But, I mean, you have a player who, if you look at the depth chart, and then, again, the depth chart means – either nothing or something, depending on the position group. But it, it was clear when we actually watched, right, that Hollis was the fourth guy in. And that, so, I mean, he, he was that guy. That's so, and he's young, too, which means that at, at a, you know, at a young age, he was being evaluated as a guy. So, I mean, future starter, certainly. So yeah, He's got three years of eligibility left. Um, Edwards is the other one who also has three years of eligibility left. And I think, I guess, I guess it was known that he was either um, frustrated or disgruntled or felt like he wanted to, to transfer. Cause I think Louis Vacare's kind of commentary right out of the gate was, well, this was not unexpected. Uh, Edwards is first into the portal or, um, or whatnot. But um, then I also, you know, granted a message board surfing year, but um, there were, you know, reports that he was, practice player of the week and um things like that so like who knows you, you never really know why, why a guy transfers but it's really hard to not look at uh edwards and rivers and think gosh the guys in front of him certainly didn't cover themselves in glory this year and yet he never saw the field and and well it's a pretty easy conclusion to come to right the other thing with edwards too is is you can on one hand be like, look, Edwards didn't play a lot of snaps. And you could look at Wyatt Blake and be like, Wyatt Blake's battled injuries for so long. And when you look at all that time, it's robbed him of a ton of snaps, right? And and you're thinking, all right, well, you know, this these are two guys who haven't played a heck of a lot. So if you look at them next season in terms of production, if they're leaving, you're not losing a lot. Yeah, but factor in just how much we're losing off of this defensive line. If you add those two guys in and they don't come back out of the portal, you can just go through and be like, okay, Tommy's staying, but Joe Spivak's leaving, Trevor Kent's leaving, Jeremy Mazur's leaving, um, uh, Jeffrey Pooler's leaving, right? Well, I, um, and again, I, 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 want, I want to stop you there. With the COVID year, it's not like we don't well, know if everyone is going. Yeah, I guess – yeah, I guess that's true. And I guess this this it's all so weird to try to figure it out and exactly who's but, got a year left and who but, doesn't. But let, let's let's just look beyond next year. Right. I mean Sure, sure, sure. Wyatt Blake has his Northwestern degree, much like Payne A Bear. Um Rivers does too for that matter. Grad transfers at this at this stage uh for players who are not like full-time starters is it is it is it is Nothing to look at other than cool man. Oh, thanks. Oh, yeah. Thanks no, no. for your thanks for putting no. in your time. So happy you oh, got your degree. Oh, for sure. Like, no, it's great for them. They right? should do what's but, best for them. Absolutely. But, but that's the thing about Edwards is it's not just about next year. Like he has, like Hollis, three years of eligibility left, and right. that like that's that stings the nostrils. And now, now you never know. You don't like maybe he decided he wanted to be closer to home or wasn't loving something else about the Northwestern experience. And that like, that's an important consideration. Like there's, these guys have more in their lives than just football. They have more in their lives than just the coaches. Um, I would encourage everyone to go listen to the emergency podcast that some of the Notre Dame players it's called um, in the garage. Uh, some, some Notre Dame players have a, have a, have a podcast and they recorded an emergency pod the night that the Brian Kelly news broke. And it's, it is fascinating to hear their reactions in the moment. It is not what you would think. And, you know, project that onto, you know, the assumptions that anyone's making about why a guy is transferring, why a guy is in the portal, why a guy is, 
is is leaving or is interested in something else. There are a million things that could be behind that that reason. And like sometimes you look at the playing time, you look at the other situations, you're like, eh, yeah, that's probably it. But um, I like I would just urge a little bit of caution there uh, before anybody makes any any wild conclusions that like the Northwestern team is falling apart or they hate Jim O'Neill or anything like that. Right. We we're not in the room. We don't know. And, you know, another thing to kind of keep in mind, guys are entering the portal from Northwestern. Guys will be entering the portal and coming to Northwestern. Um, Yes. Like, the portal giveth, the portal taketh. Um, This is, you know, conference championships haven't even happened yet. Signing day is, you know, we're recording this on December 2nd. Signing day is on December 15th. There's still a couple weeks until signing day, early signing day. A lot still is, is left to happen, you know. With the portal, well, well, and well, buckle up because this time of year is just going to get crazy. Oh, I mean, every season it, as we oh, go yeah. forward, it, it's already well, it's the, already insanity with the coaching carousel, and now we find out that uh, Adrian Martinez is entering the transfer oh, portal. I was, I was about from to say Nebraska. You're can you're gonna you were gonna candy man me. I was gonna say <laughs> we don't don't say his name if you. It's like Voldemort. <laughs> It's like it's don't I mean like it's uh it's it's in play I'm just saying and you know we've been joking about it and I'm going to joke about it now cuz I I I'm, I can't I literally can't talk about it anymore. All right. <laughs> A lot still left to you know, there's so much we don't know and so much yet to happen. So um for everyone who's like this the sky's on fire, you know, everything is terrible. Um, we hate life and every, no, <laughs> settle down, calm down, relax. I'm not Aaron Rodgers relax, but just let's see how this plays out. Yeah. Guys are leaving. They have their reasons. We have to, you know, they're 18 to 22 year old kids. They need to do what's right for them. It, you know, more power to all these guys. And the fact that they're able to do that now, the pa- the fact that like, these kids are able to take a little bit more agency is amazing, especially when you consider like their coaches who are just taking uh, what multi like almost billions of dollars now with, with in like new coaching salary with this coaching carousel that's going on right now. And like, you know, I, Brian Kelly I, I, leaves I, in the middle of the night to go to LSU and you know what? What recourse do the Notre Dame players have, who still have an outside chance at making the friggin' playoff? And Brian Kelly's like, "Oh, LSU's going to give me a hundred million dollars. Okay, bye." Two minute I, meeting, and then he's out. I, I I can't I can't get that upset about it. Honestly, like, um, well, I'm not I'm not upset about Kelly leaving. I'm just saying, like, for everyone who's upset that players are moving around. Yeah, settle yeah, down because coaches are yeah. doing it too and making and a, have been, a, so much more money doing it. Co- coaches have been doing it for years, yeah. right? I mean, this is I just appreciate that now the players have some agency to do that as well. I and I and I I totally agree, and I encourage all available interior linemen to use that agency to come to Northwestern, where we suddenly need interior linemen in a way that I did not that I did not anticipate. I will say in the in the fairness though, I mean for um, you know, a southern fried boy like Brian Kelly, the chance to return to his roots was just too much to <laughs> can, can we can we talk about let's, Brian Kelly? Let's talk Kelly about now. Brian Kelly. So uh so yeah, I mean like the news breaks that he's leaving for LSU, he he, you know, sends a a text to his players. I saw I noted some former Cincinnati players like highlighting that like oh doesn't this look familiar i mean why well, at the same like what's a guy gonna say he, he's 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 leaving one job for another you know it's like a um, breakup there's no good way to the, do it yeah but. like whether it was two minutes or i mean like imagine he he talked to the players for 45 minutes i'm sure they wouldn't have wanted that that would have been like super awkward yeah like, and i know people were saying like oh he didn't take any questions what are they gonna ask him what is he gonna answer like i don't know i just i can't get too and like the, been out of shape about the, that because it's just it's it's an awkward situation and it's it's probably it's probably best done fast and like and I, I will give him a little bit of credit for flying back and standing in front of them for at least you know to tell them something yeah. versus 
he 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 didn't he didn't have to do that. But I, I think to to you know to that point, like the perspective of the four Notre Dame players that because you mentioned in the in the Garage podcast, like they all said, you know, this is what he needed to do for him, and like none of them were like upset at Kelly for for moving for taking the job at LSU, you know, and like none of them were like, oh, we're we're all transferring to LSU too. Like they all had a very rational way of looking at it, and I really, really appreciated it. So you know, what, what stood out to me most was the way they talked about, and and I guess like ironically, they had just done another podcast where they were imploring uh, young young athletes that are making their college choices, like don't pick a school because of the coach, like like don't tether yourself to a coach, pick the school because of the school because it's where you want to be, it's um the place you want to play, like, et cetera, et cetera. And to a man, they all also said, like, I ain't, th- this doesn't change my relationship with Notre Dame. It doesn't change anything about, you know, w- what I want to be doing. And, yeah, no no way I'm leaving. Like, um, so I just, like, that was a really interesting, because I, I think it's one of the first things. And, of, and of course, you know, you look at the Lincoln-Riley situation with Oklahoma and recruits, you know, switching their allegiance to USC almost immediately. Like it's the first thing everybody talks, everybody talks about, Oh, is, you know, there's the quarterback or is who, who's it's and so-and-so going to follow Kelly down to, to LSU. And I think what's then also interesting is now we've got the hindsight of another couple days here to, to know that Marcus Freeman has been offered the Notre Dame job. And that's the guy that all the players at Notre Dame wanted. So like, like in the end, this is almost kind of like a win-win for them. But, um, but what's, and, and Tommy Rees is staying too. So both yeah, coordinators are, are sticking around. But the thing that's hysterical is Brian Kelly tonight had like like introduced himself at halftime at an LSU basketball game and like the video is flying around, has adopted a fake Southern accent in the time that he, he matriculated from South Bend uh, to Baton Rouge. And that's um, that's just amazing. It's amazing. It's the foghorn leghorn routine. Just, <laughs> just incredible from Brian Kelly. Um, yeah, and of course it's. Uh, did he have the same dialect coach as uh, Vanderbeek did in Varsity Blues? <laughs> well, that was in the in the eleven in in those eleven minutes at Notre Dame. He just had to make it clear that he didn't want their laugh, and he had to go. <laughs> oh, too much fun! But, but well, it, it was it was a it was an ass crazy three days though right well and it's and it's it's only begun like there's still like and that's the thing like well there won't be there i there won't be any seismic bombs like the like the two that happened back to back well i mean bronco Bronco mendenhall just uh left uh virginia yeah which although but i mean you still got it's not uh, it's not the biggest name but still there's a lot well and you still got oklahoma you still got oklahoma that's got to be filled and you know and there'll be other so it's it's just that, and then the the portal and everything. So it's like you know, I mean, just out of context, right? A, a coach has not left Oklahoma for another school's job since the 1940s, and a coach hasn't left Notre Dame for another school's job since 1907. Well, and you, what was and the point you, you made that one point too, where it was kind of like you know, put a lump in everyone's throat a little bit, but the last time that there was a a switch. What was it that Oklahoma? Oh, that that both Oklahoma and Notre Dame were open. It, Notre Dame hired Era Parsegian out of out of Northwestern. Right. So it's like you know, which is of course only dovetailed because no one, including uh, Adam Rittenberg and who else, Feldman. Like you can't make a Notre Dame coaching search list without putting Pat Fitzgerald on the list. Like you just can't. Like it makes sense for too many. That's not to say. Uh, that's not to say he's taking the job. He's not taking the job. But you can't make the list without putting him on it. It just makes too much sense. So yeah, it's like every, every it's, time the Bears fire their coach, Fitz's name right. is going to be mentioned. Right. Right. Yeah, yeah. Buckle up for for two months from now. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So so in any case, I guess it's just always saying right. Like you know, we've 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 said plenty about football to the extent that there's putting a bow on it. Right. But it's like. It's not like football is going to be going anywhere for the next couple of weeks, so there's going to be plenty of stuff to talk about. Yeah, we, we got, Northwestern and not. We got conference championships games this weekend. Um, you know, Michigan, Iowa. At, you know, just what everybody predicted. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. Um, but I mean, not not to like talk about you know the rest of the conference because you know we've kind of moved past that. But like, oh my god, 
the thrump in Michigan put on Ohio State. Just just to tie back to something we were talking about earlier, um, one of the things that stood out to me watching that game was uh, they talked a lot about how uh, Harbaugh has has really shifted his staff over the last two years to be much younger, much newer thinking, and like could 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 something like that work here i mean that's that's the most conservative like stubborn football coach in america right i mean can can the second most stubborn football coach in in america or at least in the big 10 like follow suit i don't know just throwing that out there yeah time will tell but it was i mean it was a heck of a win for them and you know got that off their backs and everything and now the Iowa will determine whether there are one or zero Big Ten teams in in the uh, playoff this year. It's probably it's almost certainly Michigan or bust. Yeah, um, and you know we 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 haven't really talked about the playoff and kind of where things sit, and uh, it's going to be real interesting to watch the games this weekend, and you know see Sunday. Uh, that's when the the playoff is announced. That's when all the bowl games are. Did you guys did you guys catch this that happened tonight? Like. They just created a new bowl game so that yes, out of thin air, out of thin air, like oh, there's going to be a new bowl game in Texas, just so all of the eligible uh, teams could be playing in the bowl game. We have I to just, schedule all of our non-conference I, stuff like eight years in advance, but we can I, invent bowl games. On I the just spot, want to baby. tell you, I just want to tell you. I mean, like there remain plenty of random Chicago, Chicago suburban towns ready to sponsor a bowl game. I'm sure. <laughs> it was El- Elk Grove Village, you know. Like, yeah, they, I mean, they ended on. their uh, they ended their sponsorship. Oh. Didn't they? Yeah, let's let's go, Des Plains. Step up, get yourself a bowl game. You know. Um, Mount Prospect, like, yeah, get let's your go, name out there. Let's go Mount Prospect. Get in line behind yeah. Gurney. Yeah, right. So, so yeah. In any case, it was pretty. The, the Gurney Bowl actually sounds pretty. That sounds pretty good. You don't even you don't even need like a like it like an awkward sponsor title for that, right? Be- it's called the Gurney Bowl. Better or worse than the Midlothian Bowl? Better. All right. Better. Play it at Six Flags. Oh Just hell like yeah! Build a stadium in Six there Flags. You go. Do it. There you go. So yeah, I mean. Next week we'll we'll talk about you know the playoff. We'll talk about the bowls. Yeah, you know, we've got our bowl previews that we do every year um, coming up. We're we'll have our Westlaw Pirates Bowl uh, challenge up on ESPN, um, which reminds me I need to get that going for this year. Uh, but basketball is is you know really kind of getting into the swing of things. Uh, men's basketball starts conference play uh, in the next couple of days with a trip to Maryland. Um, the women uh, playing, uh, they were still playing as, as we started a recording tonight, uh, finishing off uh, a nice little comeback over Clemson, uh, beating Clemson 72-61 uh, to kind of get off the schneid a little bit. You know, had, had lost a, a, a couple uh, games, you know, over the last few. So uh, to kind of come back and, um, you know, and they were down to Clemson too uh, at halftime, but Veronica Burton goes for 32 points, 8 of 13 shooting, um, you know, really kind of leading the way uh, for the women uh, in this win over Clemson tonight. Yeah, and I think that's been kind of the thing, right, where she she was, she was really hot. And <clears throat> I think one of the problems the women's team has had, right, is we've talked about all of these, you know, the great young talent, all the recruiting talent, the the talented young players who are playing, the continued existence of the Blizzard, and there's a certainly a caliber of team below which they just don't score against Northwestern. Um, but one thing that, you know, I wouldn't say we've glossed over it. I wouldn't say anyone's glossed over it. But Northwestern, from an offensive standpoint, is has to replace one of the greatest Northwestern women's basketball players in history in Lindsey Pulliam. And a player, just an unconscious gunner who on any given night, I mean, I think one of the horrible ironies of the last game of her career in the women's tournament last year was that she just went so cold when this was a player who the, you know, through her corner jumper alone could just put the team on, on, on her back offensively. Right. And 
that's production that Northwestern's got to find a way to replace, right? And there have been times where just a bunch of shooters have gone cold at the same time, and that's what kind of bit them in a couple of the past couple of games. And it, it can't always be Burton. I think kind of the way that Burton stepped up as that major number two asset next to Pulliam, I think Northwestern's looking for that single play, right, to emerge as just a real gunner to take the place to be like, I will shoulder this load. And when they can, when they can find that, I think that'll be the missing piece. Well, she's, she's not the gunner that shoulders the load, but a critical component of this team um, last year, the year before into this year has been Sydney Wood and Sydney Wood has been injured. Uh, I assume, uh, or, or at least hasn't played since the DePaul game. And, and she had shorter minutes in the DePaul game than she usually has. And that's, that's a missing piece. And, and, you know, some a, a really tenured leader on the team as well. Somebody whose defense is, um, you know, second only to to Burton herself. So that's uh, that's a big piece that they've been battling as they've dropped. You know, that they dropped the Pitt game and the Texas A and M game in the in the Paradise Jam. Not having Sydney Wood for that entire tournament was um, was a real bummer. And you know, hopefully she's on the mend and 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 we'll be able to see her see her back. But again, she didn't play tonight against Clemson. Um, so that's, you know, that's a big missing piece. Uh, but, but yeah, to your point, John, like the, the, the big shooters right now on the team are, are freshmen, you know, um, Walsh Brown, uh, Daly. and, and ba- yeah, that, and that's, that's just going to take time for, for those players to find the consistency to be able to do it night to night. Yeah. And, um, you know, the men, uh, they took third place in the, uh, Romans legend, the Roman legends classic in, uh, New Jersey, uh, after dropping a game to Providence, they really just put the smackdown on Georgia. And then um, game against Wake Forest in the Big Ten ACC Challenge. Uh, tight game the entire way. Uh, goes to overtime. Uh, Cats have an opportunity late to try to tie it up to send it to double overtime. But uh, Bowie got a little bit ahead of, ahead of himself. Uh, was trying to move a little too quickly. Fumbled the inbounds pass. Uh, Wake picks it up, you know, gets a couple free throws to kind of seal the deal. But, um, yeah, I mean, the men have been playing decent ball. Every time I get out, they pull uh, me back yeah. in. <laughs> like, like, they, like this, this team has been more interesting to watch and has been more fun to watch and has been more, like, intriguing to watch than I feel like at any point last year. Yeah. And I like the evidence for that. Now, granted this, the, you know, the way the wake game ended was like classic, you know, Northwestern of the last couple of years, but in regulation, the last three possessions, Northwestern, especially the last two possessions, like Northwestern manufactured legitimate shots at the rim to go up and Certainly, in one case, um, there was a fair amount of, of of contact from the D. I'm not saying like it should like, I'm not saying it should or shouldn't have been a foul, but there, it probably there was a fair should, amount it probably of contact. You know, the the refs probably aren't going to blow their whistle with 25 seconds left in a tie game, right? Or in a was it a two point game at the? It, it, anyways, um, but like, th- like this was not the Northwestern offense of pass it around the outside. Nobody like hot potato. Nobody wants to take the shot. Like. They they manufactured like good shots. Uh, I think like like Nance finds a um, another level like in the last eight to ten minutes of games. Um, I, I wish he could find that level earlier in games. But um, there's some really interesting pieces to play with. The two freshmen Casey Simmons and Julian Roper are phenomenal and so much fun to watch. Like there's I, like we we said this a lot about football in the last couple of weeks, and it's been it's been Jay Sharman's you know comment this year like you can be you can be bad and you can be boring but don't be both and um this men's basketball (laughs) team might be bad but i like they're not going to be boring that's and that's the thing right is like you're absolutely right they are fun to watch there's a lot of young kind of exciting guard play on this team that was kind of something that was kind of sorely lacking at times last season at least in terms of the amount of guards playing at any particular time and the rotation etc um and that has been good. And at the same time, you kind of feel the weight of the, the four seasons that have come before this season and, and a lot of the things that we've seen, right? Where, like Scott said, I mean, like, 
effort and playing hard and these guys, I mean, like busting their ass, that was true all of last season. And there were a lot of close games, but this team was kind of snake bit at the end of a lot of games last year. Um, there were other games where like the wheels kind of totally fell off. And then there's the fact that this season, the non-con is just really, really cupcake laden with only a few kind of chances to show out. And Northwestern has not gotten the wins in those games. And I mean, you have the Georgia game, but Georgia's two and five right now. Like they maybe, you know, it's quite possible they're the worst team in the SEC. So it's, it's really rough. And then they, Wake they just, they just knocked off Memphis though. Oh, did they? Well, there you yeah. go. Well, yeah, that... they knocked off number 18 Memphis uh, oh. like last night. Oh, well, there you go. That helps. Good. Well, that's good. Good to know. Again, they're still, still what, three and five, but whatever. Good. We need a little, <laughs> lust. we need a little bit of luster. Um, but in, in the case of Wake, right, like they're, they're clearly, and you brought this up, that there's a ton of moving parts with Wake, a lot of transfers, et cetera. But Wake won three games last year. And granted, I don't think the ACT really played much of a non-con. So, but this year, if you look at their schedule, it's a lot like Northwestern schedule with a lot of similar profile where they've played a lot of cupcakes and won. Then they played LSU and got their hat handed to them and they won a close game against Northwestern. So I think what we're all still sitting here saying is, all right, so what is any of what we've seen so far bear when we get into the Big Ten? And we're, gonna, we're about to find out, right? Because Maryland, I think as of right now, is looking kind of like a team who might be mid to <clears throat> bottom half Big Ten, which is right where they were last year. And they're five and three right now. They've had some good games, but they've also taken their lumps. And they they've think, lost their last two and three of their right. last five. Right. So it's like that that's the real test, right? If we want to see it's where we start stacking up. And the thing is, you mentioned Big Ten play starting. Well, this is the super weird thing, right? Where we play a Big Ten game and then we don't play another Big Ten game for almost a month. So it's like this will be one of the few chances we get until 2022 to really know what we have here for Northwestern, at least as they stack up in the to, with the rest of the Big Ten. So I think we're all going to really be watching that one. Sunday morning game, 11 o'clock a.m. Central on Big Ten Network. So, yeah, it'll be fun to watch, you know, interspersed with whatever NFL football you uh, you plan to take a look at. Um, Do we have anything else to talk about? I mean, we've kind of gone through a lot tonight and bounced around a little bit, but uh, that's kind of where we're going to be going the next you know, for the foreseeable future. I mean, we've got, you know, bowl games to talk about and that men's and women's basketball, but, uh, and, you know, as Northwestern football news breaks, we'll be here to, uh, to patch it up. We missing anything for tonight, guys? I think just, you know, we've said it a couple times on the pod. We've said it a couple times on social media, but it, it, it warrants being said again. Just thank you to everyone who engaged with us, who chatted with us, who connected with us, uh, this fall, um, you helped, you helped keep us sane and yeah. helped us, um, get through this with a measure of level levity and, and, uh, you know, still get, get some enjoyment out of what, what was a, an extraordinarily rough season. Um, and, uh, we, we appreciate, um, we appreciate y'all and appreciate you listening. And, uh, yeah, there's, we ain't going anywhere. We're still having yep. fun. Yeah, exactly. It's everything Scott said. I couldn't second more. Though I would add too that you know we've gained a ton of Twitter followers throughout this. Uh, you know, so engagement online, you know, from all of you has been a really big thing. Um, that's kind of sustained us, you know, week to week between all the games and everything. And and yeah, it's what's kept it's what's kept us sane throughout this entire whole mess. So uh, yeah, thank echoing scuds thank you yeah and and for me as well you know thanks to all of our listeners uh, we really really do appreciate it if you like what you're hearing um do us a favor and give us a five-star rating on uh apple podcasts or whatever podcast platform you're listening to um tell a friend uh you know if you like what we're doing you know we you think someone else might like what we're doing let them know uh you know share the pod with us uh Definitely love to get uh, more listeners and, and reach out to more Northwestern fans because, you know, that that's why we do this. It's, uh, it's a lot of fun for us, but I, I know, you know, we've gotten just so much great feedback uh, this year and, and throughout the years, you know, all, all the times we've been, uh, you know, 
going you know coming up to year 11 guys you know we're we're almost there i know it is it's so crazy right because we're about to start the bowl previews and that's where we started where we started year one in uh, 2010 crazy to think about well in any case uh let's go ahead and leave it there for tonight head to our website westlawpirates.com to leave comments and questions find us on facebook twitter and instagram at westlaw pirates and email the show westlawpirates at gmail.com Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics. Look for us in the west side of Ryan Field flying the red pirate flag because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. John Lacombe and Eric Skazbo, I'm Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.